All right. <clears throat> I have to kind of talk about baptisms because I had to kind of get get my mind back on it before I talked to everyone that was getting baptized today. So um, for me, it was a good it was a good chance to kind of study and go back and revisit baptism. And so I did. And so we're going to talk about it briefly. Um, I say briefly. It should be briefly. Um, but there's something, there's something, I'm going to tell you a quick story about myself, and there's something about testimony, I had to kind of work through this, because I tell a lot of stories uh, from my life, and for me it's just a testimony, it's a good testimony for people to understand kind of where I've been and, and what I've seen, but it's not just me and my life, but it's how God did some things and has, has kind of revealed himself um, currently for some things that have happened in the past, and so uh, some of you have kind of heard this story, but I really feel like the Lord's wants me to say it again, um, and I'm not going to get into the whole details of my whole childhood and all that kind of stuff, but my dad left us when we were young, and um, at some point around the sixth grade, I began to really rebel. I was making good grades up until that point, and I got to sixth grade and began to really um, kind of kick back and, and lose respect for things and begin to get angry and, and frustrated with life, and a counselor at the school told my mom that you know she needed to find my dad and maybe get me over there to spend some time with him. It may help with the situation. And so she did. She tracked him down um, and asked if I could come stay for like a month during the summer. And so I went and stayed with him. He was work- He was a horse trainer, and he was working on a ranch. And uh, a little bit of a little bit of backstory, I pretty much hated my dad my whole life up to that point. Um, would literally sit with my pellet gun to protect my sister and my mom if he ever came around. Um, And I just, I mean, I just hated him. Uh, he left us and, and, you know, had to grow up without him. And so there was just this real resentment towards him. Well, now I'm kind of plopped, you know, plopped into another town with him. <laughs> and, uh, and he was training horses in a ranch. And, and he had prepared before I got there. Apparently he had bought a horse named Leo. It was a real tall horse. And, uh, you know, I'm sixth grade. Actually, second year I failed the sixth grade because I was in, staying in trouble. The second year in sixth grade, I get up there and, and during the summer and, uh, and he, he presents this horse, Leo, to me. Hey, I bought you a horse. I said, okay. <laughs> I don't ride horses, but that's cool. And, uh, and so I, I rode the horse a little bit, and I didn't really like horses. <laughs> I'd run it every time I got on it. And it was the only thing I really liked doing was going fast. And, uh, and apparently horses, you have to let rest, <laughs> or they die. I don't know. They, they don't do well if you don't let them rest. So I would just run that horse all the time, and I'd get kind of bored with it. And I told him, I, you know, I don't really want a horse. I want a four-wheeler. And so he, he said, well, if you want a four-wheeler, I have to sell the horse to get you a four-wheeler. I said, that's fine. I didn't like the horse anyway. <laughs> so he sold the horse and, uh, and bought an old four-wheeler, and it needed some work. And I, I know I'm kind of, I, I give you a lot of details, maybe not for any reason, but just kind of build up to where I am now. And we're sitting in a barn, and he's got a carburetor pulled apart on a table, cleaning out with carb cleaner and everything, trying to get the, car, trying to, trying to get the four-wheeler running. And so while the, the carburetor soaks, I've been there for, couple weeks now I guess it's been awkward we haven't really talked a lot you know it's been real surfacey stuff um, neither of us really know how to act around each other you know he was just as nervous as I was um, and finally we're waiting on the carburetor to soak and he sits down next to me and starts to talk to me like serious and he said you know up to this point I haven't called him dad obviously because I didn't know him as dad and uh, he sits down and he says hey you know why don't you call me dad and I said, man, I, I don't know you. I don't know you as dad. His name was Wayne. I, I said, I, I know you as Wayne. I said, I don't, I don't feel comfortable calling you dad because that's not who I see you as. 
and he began to cry. And I began to cry. <laughs> Big surprise. And, uh, and I told him, I said, I've hated you my whole life. I said, I told him, I said, I'd sit at the corner with my pellet gun waiting to shoot you pretty much, you know, if you ever came around. And uh, it was a really intense moment between us, um, something that I'll never forget. And I could see the hurt in him and the regret he had. Even at that age, I remember it. I was still not going to call him dad, but I, I could see he was doing the best he could with what he had at that time. Um, and so there was a lot that happened after that, but that was, that was the main thing. I really had a hard time and I, <clears throat> calling him dad, and I, I don't think I ever really did. And he passed away in 2000, I think it was. Um, I never really got an opportunity to do that. I forgave him, you know, way before then, but I never got an opportunity to call him dad. Now, fast forward, um, Tracy and I discovering this church, and Pastor Mark starts preaching about sonship for, my God, probably two years, almost two years. And it's revelational. I mean, I love it. I'm I'm eating it up because I need it. I've, I've desperately always wanted a father. And so theologically, I'm, I've, I've got it, man. I've got my mind wrapped around it inside and out. I was teaching it in youth. I mean, I, no problem. But then just like that meeting I had with my dad, I come up here to worship one Sunday, and I knew it, but I'd never said it out loud, <laughs> right? And I get up here, and I'm worshiping, and I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to say, Dad or Daddy. I remember which one it was, but it wasn't Father. I'd said Father before, but I never called and I don't know if you guys call your dad father, but I never, never would have called him father. But it was, it was kind of groundbreaking for me. It was life-changing for me, and I said, dad or daddy. And it was like, boom. I could just feel it. It was like a connection was made. And it was something that was already there, and I understood it for almost two years. But there was something supernatural that happened in that moment where it just sealed into my heart that I was a son, and he was my dad. And... That changed the way I saw everything because just like the song we're singing now, I don't have, you know, my dad did a lot of things with drugs and, and women and all this kind of stuff. And so I always in the back of my head, I thought, well, that's, that's what I've got to fight against. That's what I don't want to be. I don't want to be like that. But uh, statistically, that's usually what happens. And so that was revelational to me when I could call him dad and realize I don't, I don't have to be like that. I've got a different dad. And I don't have to, to struggle with those things anymore because now I'm free from them. And so that was revelational to me to actually see, not only see God as Father, but call him out loud Dad or Daddy. Does that make sense? Sometimes we need, uh, just like baptism, we need a physical representation of something that's going on in the Spirit. And it's not that there's something supernatural about saying Daddy. Uh, just like I told the kids, that water's not magic. There's nothing special about that tub and duct tape. Although Melvin made the temperature perfect. <laughs> I mean, perfect. Melvin's awesome. He set the whole thing up. But I'm just saying the, there's something spiritual happening. But sometimes we need a reminder in the physical for us to really understand it. You get that? That's where I'm trying to go with this. Well, just like baptism, and we talked about last week, uh, God made man and woman in the beginning, right? In Genesis, God made man and woman. And then it goes on to say that God pulled a rib out of Adam and made a woman. Well, God made man and woman before that. You realize God's outside of time and space, right? He made, he made man and woman, and then he put Adam to sleep and pulled a rib out of him and made a woman. Why? Why did he have to do that? Why couldn't he just make man and woman? I think it's, I think it's for this reason. Man needed to see it. He needed to see it so he could understand it. He needed to see it and feel it. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. 
He needed to know the kind of love that he needed to have for her. He needed to know exactly how strong that bond would be. Now, we talked about last week, Eve's got such a bad rap, but Adam really dropped the ball because he was supposed to be convincing her of who she was. What did the devil tell her? The serpent came up and said, you need to eat this apple so you can be more like God. If Adam would have done his job, she would have known she was already like God. (laughs) She was created in his image from the very beginning. So it was Adam, the first Adam. It was his responsibility to continually speak identity into his bride, which is Eve. In the same way, it's Jesus, the second Adam. It's his responsibility to continue to, to speak his identity into his bride, who is what? Us. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us. He reminds us of who we are, who we really are. But all of this to say, Adam needed to see something. He needed to see it so that he could understand it. This is what's cool about God. We have faith in an invisible God, but he still has the patience enough to show us things like we're kids. He has, he has the patience and the love and the compassion to come down here and meet us right where we are to demonstrate him, his, his goodness and his love to us. And so Adam needed to see it. Um, now, speaking of baptism, we'll fast forward. I was just kind of wrapping up last week, and I wanted to get a little more into it, but I don't want to waste a lot of time. I want to get to what I want to talk about. Matthew 3.13 is when, uh, when Jesus was baptized from John the Baptist. Now, you know, John the Baptist, his, he came with the baptism of repentance, and we all know what repentance is. Anybody, anybody? Metanoia, changing your mind. It's not just feeling bad about your sin. It's changing the way you see everything. Metanoia, change your mind. So, so John came with that baptism, um, and he really wanted everyone to change. But guess what? We can't change on our own, so Jesus came with the power to actually do it. So the baptism of Jesus, this is Matthew 3.13. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee, excuse me, to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Like, why are you coming to me? I need to be baptized by you. Excuse me. Verse 15, Jesus replied, let it be so. Now it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, as he should, because it's Jesus Um, Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now, here's the thing. Jesus hadn't done a thing yet. And I've said this before. Jesus hasn't performed one miracle. But here God says, here's my son whom I love and in whom I'm well pleased. What was he well pleased with? Jesus hasn't done anything yet. It wasn't performance. It was in who he was. So God is immediately speaking identity into Jesus. Now, here's the, here's the thing that, I, that I, can, I find interesting. Jesus is God incarnate. I don't think Jesus is needing to be reminded here. I think this is for us too. I think Jesus need, we need to see this happening so that we can understand how our relationship is. Jesus was already the son, but we needed to see it. We needed to understand it. People needed to see it. That's why Jesus said, I need to come. John's like, you don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. Jesus is like, no, 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 I've got a bigger, I've got a bigger job here. You don't really see what's going on. But there are going to be billions upon billions upon billions of people that are going to need to see how this works, right? They're going to need to see it because it's going to be difficult because I'm not, I'm not going to be around physically, although I'll be with them in the Holy Spirit. They're not going to see it like this. So we need to do this so that they can see that God's already pleased in me before I've done anything because of who I am, not because of what I do. Does that make sense? Because of my identity as a son of God, I'm okay. And he loves me, right? 
So I wrote down here, uh, we, we have oak trees now at this house, and we find acorns a lot. And I, I noticed it the other day when I was, and I just kind of wrote it down in my notes. But an acorn is an oak tree, right? It's an oak tree, whether it's an acorn. It's, it's the potential of an oak tree is in that little acorn. <laughs> whether we believe it or not, it's there. Um, a fruit tree that's not producing fruit, guess what? It's still a fruit tree. You know, the church gets so caught up in fruit. What kind of fruit are you producing? What kind of fruit are you producing? If we would just speak identity into people and tell them that they're fruit trees, the fruit would come. You don't force fruit. Like we said, you don't go, you don't drive by the orchard and hear, mm. <laughs> trees naturally produce fruit that have fruit. If we'd stop condemning people for not producing fruit and start telling people that they're fruit trees, not that they're fruit trees. Let me, let me re- rephrase that. Don't tell people they're fruit trees. They'll, they'll say you're crazy and get off the elevator very quickly. Um, <laughs> Hang on. If we begin to, let's see how I can word this. If we would stop trying to call out people's sin and start calling out their righteousness, I believe people would see who they were and not who they're not. And people get upset and they're, well, you don't talk about sin enough. We, the church has talked about sin for hundreds of years. Sin's not the issue. Why, why if, if, if I had a, a I don't know what to say. I'm trying to use an analogy. All analogies break down, so bear with me. If I had a, a demon monster, okay, or whatever, and it tormented me my whole life, and then finally someone came and killed it, how ridiculous would it be for me to drag it back up and prop it in a corner so I could see it all the time and be intimidated by it? That's the way we treat sin. If we're freed from sin, why do we focus so much on it now? It doesn't mean it's not there. It's not being uh, passive or saying it's okay to sin. It's saying... There's a solution now. Like I said in the beginning, is it finished or isn't it? Was Jesus enough or wasn't he? That's the question. If we say, if we say Jesus plus anything, then Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough for all of our sins, and I think it is. I believe it really was. I believe their identity, the whole thing with the, 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 when Jesus was talking about laws and how it's a heart issue and not a behavioral issue, yeah, don't commit adultery, but don't even lust. Now, <laughs> how many, I don't want to, I'm not meddling, so bear with me. How many men in here have never lusted? Come on. He's trying to get to a point here and saying, look, I'm not trying to tell you a new way of living. I'm telling you, you have no way to beat this thing without me. I always equate it to a swarm of bees that you put like the law, came in and poked it with a stick, and then all the sin came out. And you try to capture all these bees, which is kind of Old Covenant style. Let's, Let's figure out a way to fix this issue on our own, and we could never contain all the bees until the Savior came and destroyed them all for us. It's too much, it's too big, it's too great. You can't do it on your own. That's why we have to have a Savior. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there. Where was I? Uh, All right, so. All right, Romans 6.3. says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now this is current. This isn't someday when you go to heaven you get to have a good life. This is, this is a spiritual thing. He's not saying you need to baptize and kill people, right? We all agree? We're not just holding them a little bit longer so they can go on to heaven. This is... This is a spiritual thing happening that is a physical representation of him when we baptize. He's saying through baptism, we spiritually are dying with Christ and spiritually being raised right then into a new life. 
For if we have been united with him in death like his, will we certainly not uh, be united with him in a, re- in a resurrection like his? For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free, to, free from sin. How, how, can we, how can we get away from this whole sin consciousness thing where we're focused on so much sin that we can't even see Christ? We can't even see the solution for the problem. The whole, my whole understanding of Christianity before I was born again at, at the age of 20 was do better, don't do bad things, do right things, and you're never going to be enough. I mean, that's in a nutshell. And I'd been to several different services, several different, different denominations. It's all different styles of the same thing. And it was performance-based religion. Do the best you can, but you'll never be good enough. <laughs> I mean, essentially, that's what it was. And it was a vicious cycle of, of going to the altar and just and all, this, all this backwards repenting where you're trying to do things that Christ has already done, and no one is benefiting from it because you're so self-consumed with trying to fix a problem that's already been solved. I didn't spend... The only time I spent... <laughs> trying to win souls was when I was um, felt guilty about it or felt ashamed because I hadn't done it enough. It was never from my heart. I didn't love people. I'm just being serious. I didn't love people. I just felt like God would be mad if I didn't do it. And it, it breaks my heart now to know, and here's the cool thing, God, God could use some of those awkward conversations that I had when I was feeling obligated to do something that I didn't want to do, and he could still touch people. That's the cool thing about it. I'm not trying to paint every other, you know, ch- there's some great churches out. I'm not trying to paint every other church out there bad or anything. I'm just saying it's cool that God can use even messed up theology because most, like I said last week, most of us have been saved through kind of a mixed message and God can meet us right there in the middle of it. It's his grace and his love that'll go, okay. And even me, I mess up. I'm not perfect either. I may, I may mess this thing up for all I know and God can still reach you because he, your Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit I have and can, can fix whatever stupid thing I say before it gets to you. Um, not to say that I'm saying everything's stupid. Um, so verse 3, when we were born again, we're righteous and justified by Christ, but we need to see it, right? We need to see that. And so when we baptize, we see it. And when I talked to everyone that got baptized this morning, I told them, I was like, you get, this is really cool, and, and especially kids, because they can, they have a better imagination, Right? Most of, most of us adults don't have as, as bright an imagination because we've, we've kind of become cynical because of life and bills and mean people, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, just jerks that we have to work with sometimes and just different things like that. We just get a little cynical and our imagination is as bright as kids. And when you tell kids, listen, when you come out of the water, you're brand new and you have new eyes and new ears and you'll see things differently and hear things differently and it's going to be really cool. And I said, it'll be almost like you have a backpack with new toys and you can... You can you know, you've got all these new great things that you have. And so it's easier to see that sometimes if you will become like a child, which the Bible tells us to do, because you can see things much more clearly from that spectrum. When you get older and you begin to get tangled up in all the responsibilities of life, you can miss some of that stuff, some of the wonder in the supernatural. And I told them, every, every, every one of them, this is a supernatural thing that happens when you're baptized. And you may not fully understand it now, but as you begin to grow up, they may come back 10 years from now and remember something that the Lord deposited in them right there. Right there in that gray bucket <laughs> in Westmobile in a metal building. So we need to see it. Sometimes, sometimes we, we believe it. And I always say, I heard a, a pastor say this before. There was a, 
and I don't know if it's a true story or not, but it was a, it's like a tightrope between, I don't know if it was the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls or something. Some of you may have heard this, and there was a guy that would, he walked the tightrope with a wheelbarrow all the way across and all the way back, and, and he asked them, and there was a huge crowd, and he said, does, does everybody, who believes that I could do that again? And all of them raised their hand, and he said, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? And they all dropped their hands really quick. But there's a difference in knowing something and really, really believing and, and trusting in something like that. And I think the same way the Lord delivered something to me, just and simply by saying, Daddy, supernaturally sealed in me uh, an identity that, that can't, be, it can't be shaken because it's an experience, right? It can't be taught or swayed. The same thing, we've seen people healed, and people will say, well, I don't believe that's true, and I go, that's fine, you don't have to, I've seen it. This isn't a story that I heard. I've seen it with my own eyes, and I can't unsee the things that I've seen. I can't unexperience the experiences that I've had. So beyond any teaching, listen, if I sat here, if I sat here and tried to convince you that whatever I thought about Scripture was right, I would be trying to brainwash you, essentially. And I would be leaning on my own understanding, which isn't perfect, and I would be focused on me, essentially. And I'm not good enough to, to lead all of you by just my own, just my limited experience. So what I always try to do is speak, is I, I try to pray every time I come in here and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying, is saying to somebody, hopefully other than me in here, and just listen to that and speak truth. And if that resonates in you, then that's, that's the Holy Spirit in you. And if not, then maybe it's for somebody else. But if it's up to me to try to convince you of something, then that's man-based religion. That's not Holy Spirit-led gospel. The cool thing about that is it takes the pressure off of me and it takes the pressure off of you. So now you can share a gospel that you may not even fully understand because that was always my, intimida- my intimidation when I would speak to people is I don't understand every single scripture. I don't understand everything about Revelation. I don't understand all the de- details, intricacies of everything. And so I would be intimidated not to share the gospel. But guess what the gospel is? Anybody? Good news, power, love the Lord your God and love those around you. Love God and love people. How hard is that? That shouldn't be a hard thing. That's the gospel. That's our requirement. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. Guess who does the convicting of sin? The Holy Spirit. We have robbed the Holy Spirit of what he's supposed to be doing. He's a big boy. We run around like we're the Holy Spirit. You're doing that wrong. And our experience is what, 20, I'm 40 now, but say I was 20, how old was I? 20, say I was about 24, I guess, when I started doing some of that stuff. And, God, I was so dumb. And by my 24, well, I'd only been saved four years. By my four years, I thought I could tell everybody what they should do and shouldn't do. And that's also an immaturity thing at 24. But imagine that. Imagine if we all did that, and pastors, some do and some don't. But if all we did was go around and point out people things that people were doing right and people were doing wrong. Where, did, where does that leave room for the Holy Spirit to move in their life? What happens when those people move away or they have something else going on and you're not around them? Who are they going to depend on? We've lacked, in my unprofessional opinion, we've lacked the leading of the Holy Spirit in the modern day church for too long. We've tried to put on ourselves something that the, only the Holy Spirit can do. The only thing the Bible requires us to do is love. That's scary, scary. And I've said it before, religion is easy because it draws lines for you. Relationship is messy. 100% guarantee you, if you start building relationships, you're going to get hurt, and it's going to be messy at some point. 
or you may hurt other people too. Relationships aren't cut and dry. Religion is. If I drew lines for you and you stayed within those lines, you gave you whatever money you think or I told you to give, I guess, and you came to church on Sundays, came to church on Wednesdays and did those things and you checked those off your list, that's not relationship. If I take the trash out, which I don't as much as I should, and told my wife I loved her and did all these things and checked this list off, that does not make a good marriage, does it? If I just check the list off of things I'm supposed to do, it does not mean that we're good. That just means I've done some things that I was supposed to do. It doesn't mean that I... Does that make sense? There's... There's people that are broken, like real broken. And many of us, I'm, I'm still broken. I feel like I'm less broken than I used to be, maybe. <laughs> I say that, and I don't know. There are people that are broken that we want desperately to fix. And I'm one of those people that want to desperately fix everybody I run into. But if we don't come to the realization that we can't, that we, that we can't do that on our own, or really we can't fix them at all, all we can do is share the good news and let the Holy Spirit fix them. Freedom is scary in this. When, when I say, okay, freedom's not scary at all. Freedom's scary to those that seek to control. When, when, when you give someone freedom to do what they want, you literally mature them greatly because they, now they have to deal with what they want to do. If I tell you what you should or shouldn't do or somebody else tells you what you should or shouldn't do, then you're leaning on their understanding and their authority and everything that they have and not leaning on the Holy Spirit to lead you. That's how relationships are different. This is why I think Jesus, as far as I know, didn't do one healing exactly the same as another. He spit in some people's faces, <laughs> spit in their eye, and he had some uh, wash and so many times. He did all these different things. I think it's because if he would have done it the same way, we would have formulated that and done it over and over and over again, thinking that we should have the same results. This is the same way we pray for people, and they're healed, and we pray for people, and they die. We're not in control. We have to get, we, we have to get out of this idea that if we do enough, if we do enough, if we pray hard enough, if we do this, then something's going to happen when God's the one that makes things happen, not us. The, the, the more willing we are to let him work through us, the more things we'll actually see get done. That's why, that's why in our weakness, he's made strong. <laughs> you guys know my insecurities. This is like my, um, my therapy session. I should have a couch up here, and y'all should be saying, how does that make you feel? <laughs> But I have insecurities, and you, you guys know them. I always I tell you about them and different things like that. I haven't been to a seminary, and I haven't. My public speaking isn't the best. Um, but every time I'm tempted to go that way, I'm always, I'm always pulled back um, either by you guys or by the Holy Spirit to say, that's not what I've called you to do. That's not who I've called you to be. But still, I'll, it, it never fails. It's usually like around five or six months at a time. I'll be fine, and all of a sudden it'll pop up. And it's just, it's, it's just the devil trying to, trying to distract me from what I should be doing saying that I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. And it's not just me, he does it to all of us in different areas in our lives. If I wasn't a pastor here, I'd be doing something else, and I do several other things. You guys know I, I work and do odd jobs and stuff too. Um, but I would be no less a son of God if I wasn't up here. I, I would be no less a vessel of the Holy Spirit, and I could love no one any more or less here or anywhere else. So I always I, I put it on you guys. It's not a cop-out. But it's a maturity thing. You, you guys are the church. <laughs> not the building, not the red carpet, not any of this stuff. You guys are the church. If you guys don't receive from the Holy Spirit and speak to other people and love them, then there's no plan B. There's no second God. There's no second. There's no, there's no other covenant. 
The first covenant was fulfilled, which we weren't invited to anyway, and now all we have is the second covenant, which includes us because we're all, I think we're all Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. And so we have a, I, I kind of went way off topic again. All right, let me get back. I do that sometimes. All right, I'm coming back to baptism. Man, I went way off. Come back to baptism. I don't apologize. It was Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I may have already said this. What do, we, what do we say when we baptize? And I've heard it several times. We baptize in the name of the Father, the, the Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think these three things are important when we do that. One, we identify that God is our Father. Two, we identify that we are sons through Christ and daughters. This is mutual sons or daughters. Three, we are given the Holy Spirit as a continual reminder of the first two. So we're not left alone. This is, why, this is why Jesus said, it's better that I go because I'm going to send somebody that can be with everybody all at the same time. I won't just be in one place at one time. It's better that I leave you because when I come back, I'll be everywhere. I can be with anyone. So there, there's a Holy Spirit that wants to have a relationship with you. He doesn't want to give you a checklist of things to do and not do. Holy Spirit wants to know you and he wants to talk to you, and even listen to you. Um, this is the, the supernatural thing about when Christ left and sent the Holy Spirit is, he, if, if the devil had only known, he would have never tried to kill him because <laughs> he only had to deal with one Jesus then. Now he's got all of us to deal with. And so he, he did that on purpose so that he could send a, a comforter. That's why always, uh, people talk about getting out of your comfort zone. Well, if Holy Spirit's the comforter, I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. I want to be comfortable with the Holy Spirit no matter what's going on around me. So there's this, there's this truth about the Holy Spirit that he leads us to places that we will actually be comfortable. <laughs> now, we may not think that all the time, but when we actually go out, we can see it. And so I'm, I'm trying to get to the end, and I've gotten way so far off, and I don't have time to go through the whole thing. You guys stand up with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you guys, and I'm going to kind of give you the rest of this just briefly. Um, I want to leave you this. There, there are practical things that we can teach and that we can help each other. But if you don't have a relationship, it's going to be very difficult to tell people things. If I walk up to a complete stranger and tell him he needs to do things a certain way, he's not necessarily going to listen to me. Why? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know that I care about him. In the same way, if someone came to me and said, we actually had somebody do this last night came up and like started doing something at our table that we didn't invite them to do. And I was like, who are you? Why are you doing this? Um, but when you build a relationship with someone, when you begin to love someone and they see um, that you genuinely care for them, and when they come into a position in their lives where they need help, they're going to come to you because they know you care for them. And that right there will change a life more than you just trying to beat people over the head about sin. Why is that? Why do you think that is? Because they know that you love them. I said in the very beginning, I, I knew very well <laughs> that I was bad and that I was doing wrong things. I did a lot of bad things. Like m- many of you in here, I thought that I'd done so, ba- so much bad that I couldn't be forgiven. But when I finally realized how good God was, he didn't make me, although I, I did feel guilty about all those things. I'm not saying that I didn't feel bad about it. I did feel bad about all those things, but I was so in awe of how good he was 
it was like this weight was lifted off of me. Do you remember that when you first got saved? All this weight was lifted off of me. It was like cloud nine for like two weeks, I think. I mean, I was singing, and I can't sing very well. And I was excited, and I was just doing all this stuff, and it was just such this, this, this weight lifted off of me. And what happened after about two weeks? i got to find a church. i got to find a church and, and get plugged in. I got plugged in. I was there every time the doors were open. And then little by little, they began to place religion back on top of me and performance back on top of me. And I began to get less happy and more frustrated and more afraid of this angry God and, and more intimidated by, well, why am I not doing this or why can't I do this and I'm not doing enough? And little by little, I began to feel like I was walking backwards. Have any of you ever felt that? But in a moment in worship, saying, Daddy, <laughs> my whole life shifts and changes. Click, supernaturally. And I feel the absolute comfort and presence of being snug. Can I say snuggled up? Snuggled up with a, with a daddy that I never had when I was younger. The daddy that never helped me working on cars when I needed him. In a moment, the Holy Spirit can do something supernaturally that no one in this room could ever teach you. I say that because it's not just for you, it's for the people around you. The Holy Spirit can do the same things for them that you can't do. Give Him room to work. He may embarrass you sometimes, but give Him room to work. Father, I thank You that Your Holy Spirit leads us in everything that we do. Lord, from a um, from a place of voluntary submission, we we submit our lives to Your plan, not because uh, because we're scared of You or we're worried, but because we know that You have a better plan for us. So, Father, not only that, we translate that into everyone that we come in contact with that we we know that You have a better plan for their life, and so we don't try to teach them that plan all the time. Although it can come in time, and we can help but we reveal that love to them and you will begin to teach them and you will begin to lead them and you will begin to to, uh, convict them of their sins. It's not our job. You will begin to speak identity into them and tell them that they are a beautiful son or a beautiful daughter in whom you're well pleased before they ever do a thing for you. Father, thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.